Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. You know, I was just wondering how you're going to be, you know, at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. I'm all right. I'm all right with it. And how... I'm all right with it, but like I said, remember, tell, let them know that I know that the cops knew who I was after Richard Mallory died. I left prints everywhere, and they covered it up and let me kill the rest of those guys to turn me into a serial killer. I know they did. All right. Welcome to episode 62. 62. Eileen Warnos, part three. And, I mean, side note, seven away from 69, just just to get that out of here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks to our sponsor, Studio Sweden. Get your awesome headphones and earbuds at studio.com and use the promo code CMD at checkout for 15% off your order. If you want to donate to our Patreon, go to patreon.com backslash color me dead podcast. We want to thank every one of our subscribers. Yes. And a special thank you to our examinators, Sharon Hoffman, Clinton Toon, Samantha Vaughn. Without all of your Patreon help, we would be in trouble. Yeah. Yes. Because that's what we use for everything. Most of it goes back into Patreon. It really does. So we've got a lot of great perks. Mm -hmm. Check us out. Yes. Even, Even a dollar. Even at every, every, I want Sarah McLaughlin's. Like, <laughs> I arms. will. Re- oh no, uh, wrong like, song. Sorry. In the arms of the angel. Yeah. Like, every penny helps, guys. In the arms <laughs> of an <laughs> angel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. oh. See what we did there. I, uh. <laughs> I guess if I have to do it for money, I, I will. <laughs> I will show you my wrist. <laughs> You like ankles? Here you go. <laughs> right now, I'll show you a hairy ankle. I know. Ooh. I know. I shouldn't be wearing capris. I keep. I know. I keep messing with mine. So I'm like, I. woohoo! Gross. Okay. Anyway, go check out Sock Monkey Crafts on Etsy. It's Kristen. I cannot say your last name. Kmekik. It's K M E C I K. Messick. Is I don't know. Silent? Sorry, dude. You got to send us a voice clip so that we I can know. Say it. She's already called us out a little bit for saying it wrong. <laughs> and we continue to do so. Like, we always uh, do. Hey. But she's the one that made our vinyl clings for mm, our yes. cars. And I put mine on, and it was black. And I, I was like, um. I saved can... mine so that we could put it on the wall in the studio. Oh, nice. Because well, I can't put my windows are tinted, and they're too dark. I had her make me a new one with white letters. Oh, nice. Do you want one? Yes. I'll tell her we want Hey, Kristen, we need one more. One more. Utah, give me two. Um, I'm going to apologize for cutting all the funny shit out lately. I feel bad. So we're, this episode is to make up for all the shit that I may have cut out. Just know, guys, that we, we save that material. 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 
four other so-sos. Yeah, it all goes in the so-so. You're not missing out on anything. I've just been cutting it out of the regular, but I'm just going to leave it in from now on and we'll do other shit for so-sos or whatever. Yeesh. Plus some of the outtakes because there's some, I mean, we we're can not, we can go on and on. I was going to say, we're not going to leave it all in, but we're definitely going to leave more in. Yeesh. The book used for the research on this case, whoa, God. Two books. Books used. The huh. books used for research <laughs> on this case were Dead Ends by Michael Reynolds and Evil Woman by John Marlowe. Yeesh. God, get your shit together, Angel. Um, We have a listener named Teddy that emailed us and told us that Aileen with an A. Eileen with an A. Jesus Christ, I can't even say it when I'm trying to explain it. <laughs> Eileen with an A. We were saying that her mom was an asshole for, yeah. yeah. It's actually the Scottish spelling. So, I mean, the, the Scottish are assholes because we're not. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, just so you know, that's where that comes from. We want to go back and talk about all of the murders really quick and add her last kill to it um, before we find out how she got caught. So. Show. Show. Let's go back to November 30th, 1989. 51-year-old Richard Mallory was on his way to Daytona Beach for the weekend to do that party in, and he was giving TVs and VCRs to um, the ladies, Chastity and Danielle, a.k.a. Kimberly, and he picked up Eileen on the exit ramp. Dun, dun, dun. Just kidding. Because before, we just talked about, like, how he was found in all the party in, so mm-hmm. we're going to tell you how how it how it went down. So you want to hit, hit, go. That. <laughs> Side note, Richard Mallory, he actually had been convicted of rape and spent 10 years in prison and a, or like a mental institution prison. Yeah. So he was in kind of the psych ward, naughty boy part of the prison. He was originally, originally sentenced to four years, but he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. And after a psychiatric evaluation, it got changed to 10 years. Isn't that crazy? I found that when I was looking around for other stuff because it wasn't in the book, but... Anyway, so once he picked up Eileen, she decided he could <clears throat> she decided he could pay her for sex. He was like, "Well, fuck yeah." So they drove to the woods. They drank some vodka and shit and had a little small talk um till like dawn. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Out of nowhere, after they were just chitty chitty chit-chatting and drinking. What was that one review that we got from one of our listeners? They fuck up too much. And then they go back and talk about it. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. We do. Sorry. We do that. (laughs) Anyway, she pulls out her gun out of nowhere, shoots him four times in the chest and in the back. She took his cash, covered his body with some old carpet, and drove off in his car. When she got home to Ty, she told her, we're moving right now. And she was acting all uptight, and she had a Cadillac that she told Ty that she borrowed. Finger quotes. Yes, I borrowed this car. And later, hurry up and get your shit. Yeah, get your shit. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Later that day, while they were watching TV, she said, like, blurts out, I killed a guy last night. I shot him dead. Should I do it? I missed. I killed a guy. (laughs) Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope. It's not going to happen. Happen. Ty thought that maybe since, no, Ty thought maybe since she had a frustration out of her system, maybe she would be better, but she wasn't. I thought at that time that, okay, she has all the frustration out of her system for whatever reason she hated 
society that she'll be okay. But obviously she wasn't. Obviously it was just the the turning point and she figured she got away with it once, she would keep doing it. It was six months before she killed again. On May 1990, she was picked up by 43-year-old David Spears, probably some kind, same kind of situation. She shot him six times, took his truck, and left it far from the body. And this is the guy that was headed to see his ex-wife and his boss found his truck. On June 6th, she was picked up by Charles Cascadden. Kis- Cascadden? I guess. I don't know. Um, he's our John Doe from... Wow. <laughs> God, I'm failing all over the place. He's our John Doe from the last episode. She shot him six times, then took his gun, money, and jewelry. She drove the car far from the body and ditched it like she did with the last two. Next was 65-year-old Peter Symes. I watched mm-hmm. doctor documentaries. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe we need to take a nap and come back to this. (laughs) (laughs) He was the one whose wife was abroad and doing missionary work. After she murdered him, she kept his car. And this car is the one that they wrecked and essentially gave them away because we'll go into that here in a little bit. But his body was never found. After that, on July 31st was 50-year-old Troy Burris. He picked her up, and she shot him twice. He was the one in the, in the sausage truck that was delivering sausage. And he was found by that family that was going on a picnic. Yes. That's nice. That's not a fun picnic. Nope. No, I'm, I'm not hungry anymore. I just found a dead guy. No. On September 11th, 1990, was Charles Dick Humphreys. <laughs> He was a 56-year-old investigator. He picked her up on an exit ramp. She led him to the abandoned subdivision, shot him six times, including the one in the neck, back of the head. She left his body there, dropped his belongings along with his bumper sticker in a swamp. And as his car was found 200 miles away. She went for a drive with that one. She was out. I out, yeah. And that's where we left you in the last episode. But... She wasn't done yet. Ty had actually left to go visit her parents for two weeks and have Thanksgiving with them, so Eileen was all on her own for a while. Now we're going to bring you to November 19th, 1990. Eileen was hitchhiking when she... Excuse me. She picked up 60-year-old Gino Antonio in a maroon Grand Prix. She fed him the same line of bullshit that she needed a ride to go to Perry to get home to her kids. He was a reserve cop, and when she found this out, she immediately got super hateful. <laughs> Somehow, along the ride, she convinced him that they should have sex. He had been, <clears throat> he had severance money in his pocket from his security job and had a new job waiting for him in Birmingham. She convinced him it was cheaper to go to the woods than to get a room, so off to the woods they go. <laughs> Why not? If you're going to save me money, let's do this. Going on a bear hunt. <laughs> Gonna get a big one. <laughs> yeah. We're not scared. You fucking should be. Yes. So she told him to get out of the car and get naked. She had gotten her twenty two out of her bag, and when he got out of the car, and he hadn't gotten naked when she came around the side of the car, he saw her pointing the gun at him and asked her what the fuck she was doing. <laughs> right. Excuse me. I'm sorry. What are you doing? <laughs> Why do you have pistol? Yes. 
Eileen answered him by saying, just go ahead and strip down, fucking cop. And then she went on, like, a rant about how she hated the police. <laughs> told him how bad she hated cops. Wait, she hated cops? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He took, a, he took his shirt and pants off, and that wasn't good enough for her. She wanted to humiliate him. She wanted him to get completely naked. There he stood with nothing but socks on. And you know what? I've heard this before, like, to humiliate people when you want that power. Mm-hmm. This is why they do that. Yep. He told her to take the car and the money and leave, and she said, no, motherfucker, get on your knees. So he's there begging for his life, and mm-hmm. she's loving every second of this. Of because now she she's is. in fucking charge. Yeah. And this, like, we've talked about this with sociopaths. They like that humiliation. They like to fill that power. Yeah. So I'm the boss now. Yeah. Not you, me. Uh, I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I'm the captain now. Yes, that was her. And that's what she wanted. So she was telling him how, you know, you're nothing, you're scum, you're a piece of shit. Fucking cop. Fucking cop. And he was just a, like a reserve police officer. He wasn't even a full... He was like, he like it was a security guard. Yeah. He flashlight cop. Yeah, I'm going to get you if you steal something from Target, bitch. But I'm <laughs> not going to arrest you. <laughs> she started shooting and she shot him four times uh, until his body fell over. He made noises with each shot, but he didn't make any more noises after he fell over. Yeah. So, so he was... He was, he was like... <laughs> like, it was horrible. Nope. When he, after the last shot and he fell, his teeth fell out of his mouth and she picked him up and thought it was hilarious. Ha! You ain't got no teeth now. I win. His car was found four days later in Brevard County, Florida. There isn't really a full story on what really happened to some of them as we will find out. Yeah. She said all of this was in self-defense. Right. 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 Yeah, I, I don't remember if I read or saw something, but it said seven people know the truth. Or eight people. Sorry, I can't count. Eight people know the truth, her and all the dead guys. So there's not a full real story because she she changes her story all the time. Well, she's a nutbag. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Nutbag is a nice way of putting it. It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what was her motive? Was it robbery or was it killing? Yeah, I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. All the men were basically the same age range and had been traveling alone. At this point, the investigators have decided that it is a female serial killer. Um, They're on the lookout for Eileen and Ty since they were the women who wrecked Peter Sims' car. And they thought it was a woman because they were always shooting in the chest where... A woman usually won't go for the head. It's always in, like, the body area, I guess. That was part of their thinking. Anyway, later in 1990, newspapers across Florida have run the story about the killings, and sketches of Eileen and Ty were included. They were identified by multiple people. Ty said, fuck this shit, and went to Pennsylvania to stay with her sister for a while. Through December, the tips were flowing in. Someone... Uh, they rented a trailer from had called in and said the woman were Tyra Moore and a woman named Lee. A woman called a woman called a woman named Kathy called from a from Tampa and said they used to work for her at a motel and their names were Tyra Moore and Susan Blahovic. Right. 
An anonymous call came in saying that the women were Ty Moore and Lee Blahovic. I think that's how you say that. I don't know. And they said that Lee prostituted at the truck stops on I-75 and that the women were both man-hating lesbians. The investigators found out that Lee Blahovic was uh, going by an alias. She had a Florida, driver, a Florida driver's license with the name Cami Marsh Green and that she had been staying in the Fairview Motel in room 8 off and on until December 10th. They went to the Fairview Motel to question the women that had owned it or the woman that had owned it. And she told them that when Lee showed up with Gino's, she told them about when Lee showed up with Gino's car. She was just happy. Jesus Christ. I cannot read. Come on, today. God. <laughs> Fuck. She just happened to pay $90 cash that day as well. Hmm. She shows up with a car and cash. Not suspicious at all. They decided to check the local pawn shops, and guess what they found? She had been pawning shit stolen from Richard Mallory and David Spears. She was the using using the name and the driver's license of Cammie Marsh Green. It was the fingerprints that she had left at the pawn shop that led to the revelation of her actual identity. They ran a check on her and found all of the arrests were that we talked about. I think it was episode one that we went through all of her arrests. On December 7th, they found out that she had pawned Gino's ring as well. Moron. Moron. <laughs> they took it to his fiance, whose name was also Eileen, and spelled the same way. Yeah. Evidently, it was a Florida thing. And had her identify it, and she positively identified it as a ring that she had given to him. The investigators went to Ohio because they knew more about time more Obviously, she wasn't using an alias all the time. At all. And had gone there and not returned. She was officially a suspect, even though they were looking for Eileen, because they didn't think Ty was involved. They also hoped that they might find Eileen there, but no such luck. Back to Florida. Damn it. Uh, By January 4th, they they had 30 investigators on the case. At 2 p.m. on January 5th, they started a stakeout. They got a couple of rooms at the Pirate's Cove Motel for uh, a command post, but they didn't tell the staff because they wanted to work with Ty and they didn't want anybody to tip her off. Mm -hmm. And so we're we're trying to be sneaky. We're sneaky little smikes. But they thought, did did I say that? That they thought that since she had worked there before, they didn't want the other maids to tell her, oh, they're here looking for you. They're trying to find you. They looking for you, bitch. (laughs) They didn't see anything all day, but on the next day, they actually got a call from a bar called Our Place, saying that women had been there, that the woman had been in there all day. They set up surveillance at the bar, but they never saw him. On the evening of January 8th, she was spotted by investigators at the Port Orange pub. One of them asked her to dance while the other watched, and they knew they had their girl. That sounded dirty. What? Well, the way that I heard it when you said it was asked her to dance like she's dancing for them when really they were just like dancing. dancing. I was not. Yep. Sorry. Where, where's your brain going for I it? don't know. Dirty. Dirty. He went outside to call an alert to the command stations, but a few minutes later, some Port Orange cops came in and got her. They had her in the parking lot when the command stations received the call about that. 
little, literally to the jump, fellas. Hmm. The investigators were flipping the fuck out. It could ruin their whole operation. And they didn't have tie. They didn't have a gun. And they were all panicking big time. Yeah. You go, now, now what it's do we do? It's not time. It's not time. Yeah. You jumped the gun, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. uh, so investigator Robert Kelly called the Port Orange Police Department and told them not to arrest her. He said the warrants in the states, <clears throat> excuse me, he said that the warrant states that they are to contact him if she is found. Well, she's been found. He's like, that's me. <laughs> you, you talk to me. The poor orange cops let her go, but not after running her name and birthday. Cammie Green. Hmm. Interesting. Weird. Weird. She went back into the bar and was talking with the investigator again. He asked her what she knew, and she said that she thought that she was a serial killer, that Eileen was a serial killer, Mm -hmm. and that they were always harassing her because she didn't have anywhere to live. He asked her if he could buy her a beer when she got back in there. She told them that her name was Lee Blahovic. She was already drunk. She started showing them all of her scars and then decided she needed to go. She's like pulling up her shirt. This is from when I shot myself in the stomach. (laughs) This is when I got my appendix out. This is from a car wreck right here. (laughs) I think I do that same thing. Oh, scars. Let me show you what I got going on. I got scars. (laughs) She went into the bathroom and picked up a suitcase and walked out the door. Because apparently that's where she kept her suitcases while she was, whatever. Bouncing around. The investigator offered to give her a ride and she declined. And she walked out. Two female investigators turned off their headlights and started following her. She's on foot and they start following her. Um... Investigator Kelly called them off. He's like, what the fuck is going on? He flipped the absolute fuck out because it's a huge surveillance violation to follow somebody on foot in a vehicle with your lights off. Who knew? I did not. Now we know. And knowing's half the battle. Yes. G.I. Joe. (laughs) They ended up getting pulled from the total investigation, those two female cops, like, I guess they called them off and they turned around, quit following her and went back to Tampa. Like, they, bye. You're yeah. done. See you later. No more. About 1030 that night, she walked into, we're back on Eileen. Eileen walked back in or walked into the last resort, which was a biker bar. The two investigators that had been chatting her up at the last bar walked in a few minutes later. There were 10 total officers Two, the two that were inside undercover and eight surrounding the bar in their cars. Um, they weren't going to let her leave with anyone because she's just too dangerous at this point because they figured if she left with somebody, she's going to kill them again. Kelly was parked. Investigator Kelly was parked at a residence where he had a straight shot of the front door. He knew that bar in and out because of all the time he'd spent there working as an officer. So he's... It's a biker bar. I think he's been there a few times dealing with shit. Um, the bar closed at 2 a.m. and it was clear she wasn't coming out. She stayed there all night. And they could see her like in there walking around and shit. Like she's just. I don't know if she went in the back and stayed or there's apparently a, a bench seat. And I don't know if it was in the back or if it was inside, but she slept on it that night. Because you can go see it now. They still have it there out front. Um, at two o'clock in the, that next afternoon, two investigators that had been chatting her up the night before went back into the bar. 
This time they had a surveillance van across the street. I keep pointing like it's, like it's going to make a difference. Yep. Yes. Over here. Yes. There, the, the surveillance guy was across the street. If you can see what I'm doing here. And the investigators were wired this time. Lee was drunker than fuck five hours later. She was dancing around and talking about how her partner left her because Ty's in Ohio with her family still. Um, she invited them to a big bonfire that was happening behind the bar after the sun went down. The investigator went outside and talked into his mic telling them that they better make a call soon because it was fixing to be crawling with bikers because there's gonna if they're having a big bonfire in the back there's gonna be people fucking everywhere right so they're like oh we should figure out what we're gonna do like now um the call was made to take her they didn't want to they didn't want her to get on a bike and leave and kill somebody else inside the bar the investigators told her they would get her a room where where they were staying they told her that she could go get cleaned up and then come back for the party she's like well Well, fuck fuck yeah all right then i don't even have to fuck you well, shit. Let's go. Let's go take the shower. I know. Ooh, can you imagine the God. Smell? Oh, Lord have mercy. I would probably jump all over that like flies on shit, too. Fuck yes. Yes. Warm water. Warm God, water. I need the shower. As they walked out of the bar, it was on. They arrested her for a 1986 concealed weapons charge under the name, oh, for uh, Lori Grody. Yes. So. So. Show. The investigators were trying to keep her arrest quiet. A reporter had heard it on the scanner and almost blew their cover. When the reporter asked the investigator, Earhart straight up lied to her and said, it's just a routine warrant arrest. Mm. While they were processing her, they took a key from her. She said, don't lose that key. That key is my life. It was a storage unit that had been put under the name of Cammie Green that she had rented. Hmm. So God only knows what's in there. Hmm. <laughs> in her purse, they found an IOU for twenty dollars. <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. I don't know why that's so funny. I don't either. It just makes me laugh every time. Who was it to? Was it to her? Was it? Was it? I, yeah, I don't she, know. Is it one she just carries around when she needs to owe somebody twenty dollars? Here, dude, IOU. <laughs> So, an IOU for 20 bucks, condoms, a piece of paper with Jack's mini warehouse letterhead, a picture of Tyra, <clears throat> more, and a picture of her two children, finger quotes, who yeah. actually, dun dun dun, belong to her sister aunt, Lori <laughs> Grody. And see where that name came from, Lori Grody. Mm-hmm. The investigators were all about having the big party over at the Pirates Cove Motel. They got their girl, now they're gonna celebrate. However, the state attorney walked in and he was pissed. He screamed, what the fuck did you do? You just fucked this all up. It would have been better if she got away. It turned into a huge fight, the attorney actually left, and the party continued. He was mad that they didn't have Tyra and the gun. Right. Get over yourself. You still okay. got your girl. Yeah, let's go let her kill more people, okay? That's the a better fucking idea. plan. Within the same 24 hours, Tyra Moore was found. Is it Tyra or Tyria? It's Tyra. I listened to, I watched a documentary this morning to try to listen to how they said shit so that we could say it right. They talked, uh, excuse me, they talked to her dad in Ohio who told them she was now in Pennsylvania and a few officers from Florida were there to question her. They charged no, 
They read her her Miranda rights and explained that if she lies, she can be charged for it. She spilled her guts about everything she knew. She told them they started off as lovers. It turned into something more like a sister. She said that um, all of the cars Lee had brought home and that he, she had confessed, Eileen had confessed to killing Richard Mallory. Mm-hmm. She told them that she was afraid to tell anybody because she was afraid that Lee would actually do the same thing to her that she's done to all these men. Right. And, and really, you never know. No, she's fucking... I don't even think she knew. Uh, how crazy she was? Yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. They wanted to bring her back to Daytona so that they could further the investigation. On January 12th, before they left, they took her to her sister's house where she gave them a briefcase that Lee had given her. The briefcase belonged to Dick Humphreys. I, I can't with that. <laughs> That's Dick, why I paused to Dick let you Humphreys. laugh. Dick Humphreys. Along with that, she gave them a letter from Lee that was dated January 7th, which was two days before her arrest. This letter was the first time the investigators really got into, into Lee's mind. In the letter, she asked her if she got the $20 in the handmade, cl- handmade clown she sent. Somebody sends me a handmade cloud. Cloud? Cloud. A handmade clown? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not having that. Nope. I would that's, burn that shit. That's not a good gift. Fuck no. <laughs> she was telling her about how hard money was to make, but that she would send more as soon as she could. She kept asking for forgiveness and asking how she regretted what she had done to her, done in her life. She told her how in love with her she was and how she wanted to get back together. She said that all of that stuff that happened was because of financial stress and that she lost her head and was broken down. (laughs) Right. It's because you're fucking crazy. The best part was when she said she was now harmless forever. I'm sorry if we get back together. I'll be harmless forever. Right. (laughs) The investigators decided to use Ty to get what they needed out of Lee. They told Ty the plan. She would be at a hotel in Daytona and told her that, um, and tell Lee that she got money from her mom to go back and get the rest of her things. And when she got there, she found out that Lee was in jail. She was to ask her to call her at the motel and then... The conversations would be taped. Shoo. It was now January 14th, 1991, and the call was getting ready to take place. Hey, Ty? Yeah. What are you doing? Nothing. What the hell are you doing? Nothing. I'm sitting here in jail. Yeah, it's what I heard. Huh. How you doing? Oh, nothing. What you doing? <laughs> <laughs> When Lee called Ty, she told her that she was in jail for a concealed weapons charge and a traffic ticket, but everything was okay. Because that's really all she was arrested and in there for at the time. Ty told her that the cops had been at her parents' house asking questions. Lee told her not to worry and then said something about uh, the storage, but ended up saying that she got rid of it. But she never really said what she was talking about. She kept saying things like she knew that, you know, that they can hear us. They've listened to what we're saying, right? But she didn't know that Ty was tapped. She, she just knew. They spoke four more times throughout the day, uh, talking about alibis and who made them suspect and using a lot of innu- innuendo and code words. And Lee kept saying over and over that it was just a case of mistaken identity. Sure it was. <laughs> Yeah, just your name. That's about it. 
Ty told her that she wasn't going down for something that she didn't do. Uh, Lee had dramatic mood changes throughout the conversations from mad to scared to sad and on and on and on. You know what? I wonder if she was bipolar. She, I have it later on. Um, she's got, yeah, something like Multiple that. Multiple personality. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I can't remember. I wrote it in there. That doesn't sound right, but that might be it. I don't know. I don't know. Ty asked her about the car that they wrecked, and Lee answered, What car? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> She's like, not going to go down. She's like, nope, fuck, nope, nope, nope. The investigators knew that she was just playing a game now and acting innocent. In the call the next day, she was telling Ty in a sneaky-ass way to get rid of all the things in the storage shed. There were some crystal balls that she had kept talking about. She told her there was a, they were worth a lot of money and that she should take them and keep them with what was inside. She told her she got rid of the water pistol, which was actually the twenty-two that she used to murder seven men. Kyra, listen. Just go ahead and do what you gotta do, okay? However, she was too late. The police got a search warrant the day before and had already gone through the storage shed. They found a bunch of stolen shit from the guys that she'd killed, along with IDs, social security cards, birth certificates for Susan Blachowicz. Among a bunch of other shit, they found a blue and black dildo and crystal balls. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's okay. I'm a child. Dildos are funny. <laughs> Dildos are funny. Uh, they weren't getting anywhere with the phone call, so they decided to give up the game with Ty. Told her she had to get Eileen to confess because she doesn't have immunity. Yeah. Well, because at the time, with all the beginning calls, she thinks that she has got immunity. And they're like, oh, no, no, you don't have it. You need to push and get what we need out of you to get your immunity. Otherwise, yeah, you coming down with her. Because I think she could be like an accessory to murder because she knew about Mallory's. I don't know what they would charge her with, though. It didn't really say. I don't know. Like failure to report or accessory to murder. Yeah, I'm not sure. We need to talk to the police. Yeesh. In the next conversation, she did what she needed to do. Lee started talking about how it was all self-defense and that she wouldn't let Ty go down with her because she didn't do anything. She said she was going to confess. At this point, Lee knew that she was going to die one way or the other. She told Ty she might kill herself. She also told Ty that when she dies, her spirit will follow her and watch her, not when she's having sex, though. It was the creepy. That is the weirdest shit to say. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to watch you and I'm going to be there with you, but not for when you're banging. (laughs) Except for when you're banging. I don't want to see it happen. Uh, Nope. No Uh, scissor sisters. It was like telling her she wanted her to stay single forever, too. I I would just feel happier if you'd stay single forever. That's an impossible thing to ask somebody. It is. Like, I've always said, like, if, if I died, I would tell Spencer, like, Please find somebody else. Like, or just go bang a bunch of whores. I don't really want you to be in with somebody. I don't know. It's a toss-up. Do I don't want, want him banging go? a bunch. I don't know. I would rather have him just, I don't know, just be happy. I overthink that all the time. Do, would I want him banging a bunch of whores, or would I want him to be in another relationship that he obviously is going to compare to me? I am. Because. <laughs> Nothing compares to me. Let's just face that. There we go. She said she was going to be known like a Bundy, and if that she wrote a book, she would give all the money to Ty. She ended up telling them that she wanted to confess. She told them that the reason she was confessing was because there was no other woman, and that she acted alone. Yeesh. They read her 
they read her her Miranda rights, and she refused a lawyer the first few times. They finally agreed to one, and they called the public defender for her. <laughs> Don't use the same blue and black dildo tie. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't. That's our dildo. You just save it. <laughs> That's for a us. sacred thing. <laughs> Remember that one night we oh. had that thing going. <laughs> I thought the batteries was going to run, but they kept going and going. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's a good thing that we bought those Duracells. <laughs> Wait, which one is the rabbit? Is it Dura- Energizer. Energizer. It's a good well, thing I, we bought those Energizers. Duracells wouldn't have held up. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. Ew. She went on about how she would probably die and she just wanted to get right with God. She said that since the men were older men, that it didn't bother her that they were dead. She knew they were older and going to die anyway. Okay. okay. You don't get to make that call. No. Some people live to 100. And these people, like, some of them had families and children and shit. Well, dude in his 40s, that's not really, like, for, at 41, no. that's really not, all, really not all that old. No. Uh, this is where she went into the self-defense story. She said that they were hurting her or going to hurt her, so she was going to hurt them back or so she did hurt them back i guess the confession went on for about three hours and 20 minutes she didn't change her story and she didn't have uh, <laughs> she didn't change her st- fuck i didn't I, I can't type she changed her story and she had convenient blackouts and at times where she had said too much she would be like oh shit Oh, oh, shit. Let's go back. Wait, what did I just say? Oh, man. Let me try that again. Your hair smells really good. Thank you. I smelt it. <clears throat> I smell it. I smell it. Her attorney finally showed up and advised her against the confes- confession, but she wanted to do it anyway, and they ended up videoing this confession. She went through each murder one at a time, told the bullshit story of how they were getting physical with her, and that's why she had to kill them. The confessions are... The full confession... Fuck. Confession. Is in the book Dead Dead Ends, and it's insane. There's, like, pages of this confession of her telling this fucking story. Oh, as you can imagine, she was very animated while she was confessing to her self-defense murders. She was, like, jumping up and swinging her hands and telling this big old story about it. She said... Dick Humphreys said he was going to arrest arrest her for prostitution and then told her to suck his dick for free. They, like, grabbed her head and shoved it in there. Suck my dick if you don't want to get arrested. No, he didn't, though. Which they knew that wasn't true because they found that bruise from the pistol that she had held. She went on about how she didn't want to kill, but she did because these people kept pissing her off. And she was talking about how she'd been raped nine times in her life, but not killed. And they're like, all right, you're, we need to cool you down. You're not making any sense. And she was getting all, like, she was going insane. They asked her how many men she shot and killed, and she said six. They didn't want to get in a pissing match with her, so they started asking about the items in the storage shed. She's like, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that. O'Neill, who was her public defender at the time, worried why the hell um, he was out there. He didn't want her to talk, but she was talking and telling them everything she remembered. Finger quotes. Everything she remembers. She was on a mission to make sure that they knew that Ty was innocent. 
At one point, she even said that she deserved to die. She told them that she would shoot them more than once because she wanted to make sure that they were dead. She didn't want to tell them. She didn't want them to tell her, tell on her. (laughs) She acted like she couldn't remember how many times she had shot each man, but she always finished with the story, well, he was going to rape me, beat me, or kill me. At 2.21 in the afternoon, they were finished questioning her. As she walked out of the room, she turned around and said, I'm very sorry. The investigators were pleased as punch. They knew that she had been the murderer. Even though the first wave of air assault was launched on the Persian Gulf, she made newspaper headlines. That's that's a big deal mm-hmm. during that time. That was like the... Yeah, sorry. Like, she... They're they're launching in the Persian Gulf, and she's still making front page. Uh, so that's a big story. Yeah, while she was in the Volusa, Volusa County Correctional Facility, I wrote down how to write how to read that, and I left it somewhere else. It's, it's either Volusia Volu- or Volusia. It's, oh, it's right there. Volusia. Volusia Correctional Facility. She was shown a newspaper by one of the medics. Lee pointed it out. Lee pointed at it and talked about how they were wrong about everything that was in there. The medic asked if she was really a call girl, and Eileen told her she had been with at least 250,000 men in the last eight years. Right. Yeah. 250,000 men? Like, break that down per day. And they said it was like 35 per day if they broke it down. I think that was the right number. No, you weren't. That's a lot. That's a busy fucking day. That's... I mean... If anybody can take that much dick in a day, yeah. you're a fucking champion. Ooh. She also continued on about how it was self-defense. Yada, yada, yada. Right. She spilled her guts again, and she went on about how and why she killed each guy and how they could have caught her sooner and then said, don't tell anyone. My attorney would fry me if you found out. <laughs> she said when that she... Shut up. Sorry. Stop. Do me a favor. Shut shut your shut your mouth. Yes. No more. If you don't want people to tell, then shut the fuck up. God damn. She said that she had been pegged as a man hater, but men serial killers who killed women, only women, weren't considered woman haters. There were some now there were now some reports that she was like the first textbook female serial killer. However, later on the 35th in the United States she was number 35 in the United States. Yeah. What made her different from the rest is that the males were strangers and she shot them. <laughs> Most of the others killed men they knew with poison. Here's where the fun begins. Within two weeks of being in prison, her and her new attorney sold the movie rights to Jacqueline Giroux. And this would be the story or the movie Monster. Mm-hmm great movie there were so many offers coming in that detectives some of the detectives were looking at it and that eventually caused them an investigation in itself yeah because they were like filtering through them but then she was she threw a fit later and was like they're trying to profit off of me you should look into them and it really turned into an investigation for three of them Lee wrote to Ty and told her people would pay her for her story and that she should try to give 75% of anything she made off of it. I can't read today. 
I can't either. Lee wrote to Ty and told her that people would pay her for her story and that she would tr- she would give 75% of anything she made off of it. So she Eileen was saying whatever whatever I make, I'll give mm-hmm. you 75%. However, the sheriff said that any money that comes in off of her story would go directly back to the taxpayers. <laughs> you get nothing. Nothing. After all that settled down, Lee and Jacqueline Giro were so excited, thinking they were going to make all this money, like $3 million off this movie deal, until they found out about the Son of Sam law that they have in Florida. This states that they cannot make any money for portrayals of their crimes. Oh, sorry. So, wow, yeah. So the the Jacqueline Garreau can make money off of it, but Lee doesn't get shit. Garreau, Garreau. What mm-hmm. did I say? Garreau, Garreau. In my mind, I said it right. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> they ended up reaching a deal where Eileen would get sixty dollars a week in her commissary, and the story was not to be sold for less than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, her sister aunt, Lori Grody, got 50000 down and 25% of any profits made from the movie. Because she went to her separate, but Eileen did not know about that. While all of these movie deals were going on, a woman named Arlene Prale, who was 44 years old, took a major interest in Lee after reading about her in the newspaper and wrote to her. In her letter, she said she was born again and Jesus told her to write to her. By the end of January, they met each other and became very close and talked on the phone every single day. She became everything to Lee, including including, including her press liaison. On February 29th, which happened to be her birthday, she stood in court and demanded new attorneys, saying hers were only interested in movie deals. So, of course, she played that up big time when she found out that it was such a big scandal. These crooked motherfuckers, they just want me for my movies. I need new ones. She was also saying she was also saying that she didn't know what what she was signing when she signed with Jerome and said she didn't want anything to do with it. Her letters to Ty stated otherwise. So she's trying to play this innocent victim. Well, she did that a lot. Like she yep. changed her story, bounced around from mm. like yeah. Yeah. Arlene said that her and Eileen were soulmates and that her purpose in life was to meet Lee. Nothing sexual, just friends. She said if she could bust Lee out of jail that she would and they would go be vagabonds together forever. Like just bail on her husband. Be hobos. Yeah. Ride a train. We're soulmates. Talk, talk about the Big Rock Candy Mountain. Yes. Yes. Preach. In the big rock candy, candy mountains, mountains, you never change your socks. Oh, gross. I don't want to go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not going. I like clean socks. And a little stream of whiskey comes trickling down the rocks. Oh, that's why you don't change your socks. You have too much whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Angel, one sock. <laughs> one sock. One sock. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Just one sock. <laughs> Arlene would make... Lee out to be an angel to the press. She would make it seem like it was Tyra Moore that was the bad one. Always making Lee do things because she was so materialistic. Like, 
Ty needed all this money for everything and I had to go out and make it. It just led me to killing people. That's how you make money is killing people. Not the way you're doing it, bitch. Like, be a hitman. Fuck. (laughs) Come on. On December 22nd, Arlene adopted Lee because, according to her, God moved her to do it. And it was while she was in prison she wanted to go see her. But only family members were allowed to see her. And she wasn't a family member, so she made herself one. Bitta bada bing bada boom. We done. Uh, loophole. Yes. Your poop hole is not a loophole. <laughs> Her public defender said it became such an issue because Eileen wouldn't cooperate unless they went through Arlene first. In January, her hearing started. The investigators wanted to try and get one state attorney and charge her for all six murders in one trial but that didn't happen she ended up getting them spread out over four state attorneys and four different counties there was once a deal in place where she would get life in prison for each murder with a minimum of 25 years and possible for parole after 150 yeah that's not gonna work no i don't i'm no mathematician but (laughs) i don't think you're gonna live that long But one of the state attorneys wanted to have the death penalty, so that deal fell apart. Her first trial was for Richard Mallory, and it started on January 14th of 1992. Vivid details were shared in in the trial. Ty Moore was brought in to testify against Lee. As you can imagine, this was very emotional for Eileen. Ty was basically the only family that she had for a a long while. Mm. But Moore had to do it to keep the immunity part of the deal she had to and she wouldn't make eye contact with eileen Eileen the whole time she said what she needed to say but never actually looked at her i don't think i could no if i was testifying against somebody that i had spent so much time with yeah i don't know unless i hated them Horzeppa took the stand and he presented the evidence for of her admitting to the murders in the tapes she showed no remorse whatsoever in florida there is a law called williams law and it basically means that they can produce evidence from other cases, excuse me, if it shows a pattern. So they were, they were also disproving her self-defense plea. The prosecutor said that Mallory was crawling away as she shot him. All of, well, I mean, if you find a bullet hole in the back of somebody. Right. When the first one's, yeah. You're, they're trying to get away from you. Mm-hmm. That's not self-defense. <clears throat> Along with all that, the stolen stolen items belonging to the guys that she killed were presented as evidence as well. There were so many people that had picked her up and were giving her like and giving their statements. There were also so many people that had picked her up hitchhiking and were giving their statements. They were stories of guys that were too smart to fall for her shit and they got away. There was one guy. I was too lazy to type this. I figured I'd just tell it. There was one guy that said he picked her up and he was driving a semi. And he had stopped at the ATM to get his insurance money. This is back before we could just pay our fucking insurance on our phone. Right. But he tucked it up in the visor. Mm-hmm. And he said the whole time she just kept looking at him. 
and uh, like looking at the money. And so he he figured out what she was on to. And he's I'm like, hip to your shit. He's like, I'm going to drop you off here. Here's five dollars. Go call your sister or whatever and tell her that, you know, you're going to be there later to get the kids because it was always the kid's story. And as soon as she got out, he locked the door and took the fuck off. I guess she flipped the fuck out. Was like, you son of a bitch, you motherfucker. I, dude, I would too. I'd be like, yeah. deuces. I'm there, out. Yeah, there was another one that was similar, but he was like, nope. <laughs> no, no, thank, no, thank you. Once the session was over for the day, the jurors were headed out and Eileen started sobbing and put on a show. Like, you're a little too late for that, sister. Hmm. On January 24th, her big day in court, she got to take the stand. She started off by saying, I am the truth. I am the fact. She went on to talk about being a prostitute or sex worker and said that Ty basically drove her to do it because money was such a big deal and that she was just a money hungry woman. When she started talking about the Richard Mallory murder, she started saying he put a cord around my neck and said that if she didn't do what he wanted... He was going to kill her and have sex with her body while, she, while it was still warm. She said that he tied, he had tied her to the steering wheel, and that's when he started to anally rape her. She started crying, and she said that it turned him on. Like, he... Yeah, he her, was, her, yeah, yeah. Her pain was actually better for him. Yeah. She said he squirted rubbing alcohol in her butt, vagina, and nostrils with, Visine, with a Visine bottle. Uh, she went past the point of believable with her story. Her testimony was ridiculous. She had so many inconsistent inconsistencies and stories that these they, stories it, now now they don't match. They don't match her confession stories that were taped. She's like, "Oh, I got I got cut off, and I didn't get to finish telling you that." Like, if somebody butt raped you, make sure that's like the, the top priority. Yeah, I'd there. be like, "Um, so here's what happened. He put things where they didn't belong." Yeah. Yeah, so they were like, no, I don't think so. On January 27th, the jury found her guilty. She was irate. She screamed, I'm innocent. I was raped. I hope you get raped, scumbags of America. I have a clip for that. I was raped. I hope you get raped, scumbags of America. Um, the next day was the penalty phase. The next day is when the penalty phase began. A psychologist who had spent a total of 22 hours with her diagnosed her with multiple personality disorder. She had all eight of the criteria for the disorder. Not um, just some of them. Shock me fucking not. Yeah, right? Here's my surprise face. <laughs> I stole that from you. I like let me, it. <laughs> let me show you my surprise face. Her brother, uncle, Barry, was the last witness to take the stand for her penalty face. He talked about how Eileen and Keith caused hell in their house, how she was good till about ninth grade, and how her dad would never beat them, and their mom was just quiet and reserved. But all the neighbor kids have, like, said that he beat the shit out of them, and yeah. Yeah. Watch the documentaries, they will tell you. And I don't know where I'm at. Lee was sentenced to the... Lee was sentenced to death that day with a 12 to 0 decision from the jury. Uh, Lee said she was a serial killer framed by the police. God. She just picks things out of her brain and like slings them like sticky hands to the wall. I hope this sticks. Yeah. Like the pickle on the window. (laughs) Get Ray. Is it going to stick? 
In her trial for Burris, Humphreys, and Spears, she entered an, she entered no contest, please, and she was found guilty. After that, she started yelling, I hope your wife and children get raped in the ass. And, and we actually have a clip for that. You can listen to her say it in her charming fucking voice. I sentence you to death for the murder of David Spears. Thank you. And uh, probably see, uh, I'll be up in heaven while y'all are rotting in hell. Okay, there will be an automatic appeal. You have the right to an appeal. Mr. Glazer, is that going to be handled by you May or the public defender? your wife and kids get raped. I would ask that uh, you would appoint right the public defender's office. I knew I was raped and you weren't nothing but a bunch of scum. Therefore, these proceedings are now Putting completed. Putting somebody who was raped right, to death on the fucking The jury gave her three more death sentences, and she flipped them off and said, Motherfucker. <laughs> it's on one of the documentaries. They don't sh- show her saying it, but you see her flipping them off. and fl- Crazy eyes. God, no shit. <laughs> she pled guilty to two more murders, and she was, f- she was found guilty for six murders total. She murdered seven men, but wasn't charged for the, the body, body that wasn't found. Yeah. There's no chance that there's... And keeping me alive or anything because I kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. In March of 1992, she got a sweet new defense attorney named Steve Glazer, a.k.a. Dr. Legal. That sounds like a poorly <laughs> done commercial. If you haven't seen him, look him the fuck up. Dude, he, it was like, have you been in a car accident? Call Dr. Legal. Call Dr. Legal. He's got a fro and he's got a beard, but it starts under his jawline. Oh no. And it's long. It's horrible. It's horrible. This guy, everything about him is horrible. He didn't actually practice law from what I gathered. Like I don't know if I'm misspeaking right now, but he had his law degree, but he didn't actually practice. Um if you watch the document documentaries selling of a serial killer and the life and death of a serial killer they're by Nick Broomfield though and apparently he's not he's not very truthful in his but you should watch it anyway just to see the interviews with her and the interviews with uh <laughs> Dr. Legal. Oh, my God. He's pretty bad I could just see him on a billboard, like, on your way yes. to, like, Mesquite. How it's just like, have you been injured in a car accident? Does your employer owe you money? DUI? No problem. Call Dr. Legal. Like, that's <laughs> all I can envision. When Eileen was in prison, she found Jesus, like many people do. Apparently, he was hiding behind the commissary. That's where he hangs out, don't we know? In prisons. Prisons. She wrote a confession letter to him before she died even. So she's like, dear Jesus, dear, dear eight Jesus. pound, nine ounce, blonde haired, blue eyed, dapper wearing baby Jesus. So <laughs> omnipotent. The only place I found that letter that you can like sort of hear what she says in it is in the documentary. Is that one in the Called damsel of death? Yeah. Yeah, and they kind of go over it throughout the documentary. And, oh, good. She has amazing handwriting, though. Hmm. It's very beautiful. Interesting. While she was in prison, she also had a falling out with Arlene because she was trying to accuse Arlene of trying to profit off her story and her artwork. Arlene claims that she was collecting the artwork and to put it into a museum and sell. 
I forgot to add the artwork in there. Sorry. She did these crazy ink drawings, I guess they were. They were like, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It looks like a, a negative. Find, oh, I'll have and to so find some. put them up to the light. It's in the that documentary, The Life and Death of a Serial Killer. I found that documentary very, in, like, interesting. But I guess Nick Broomfield kind of... Flabby fibs. Puts things the way he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because I heard it on last podcast on the left the other day. They were talking shit about him. I'm like, oh, well, those are the two that sure, I watched well, for my research. Shit. So I better watch some more. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, her friend Dawn, from when she was a teenager, um, remained her friend. And they talked off it often. And Dawn would go visit Eileen in prison. In July of 2001, she went to court and asked to have her automatic appeals <clears throat> stops so that she could be put to death. And here's a clip of that. They do wish to, in essence, fire CCRC, terminate their representation. Absolutely, and stop the uh, uh, using taxpayers' money and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. I want to come clean and tell the world that I killed those men first degree, robbed and killed them to keep from any witnesses. There you go. Hey, I was tortured at BCI. They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Sonic and pressure. And every time I was trying to write something, I, they, and I, I think they had some kind of eye in the cell, I'm not sure, but every time I started writing something, it went up higher. So I'm thinking that probably had the TV rigged. Affect your mind in some way, the sonic. It was crushing my head and they were using sonic pressure continually. On October 8th, 2002, Dawn visited Eileen for the last time. On October 9th, she was put to death by lethal injection at the age of 46. Her last words were, I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the big movie, Big Mothership and all. (laughs) Who says that? She's coming back like the aliens I know. did in Independence Day, only she's got Jesus with her. They're in the mothership. They're just going to land. They're just riding in like the four horsemen? Yeah. Good they're, God. They're just going to come. That's how she's going to be back. And that concludes Eileen Hornos. Hornos. Crazy eyes. Crazy eyes. And her teeth. God, when I'm watching her, like in the documentaries... And, oh, uh, just watching her mouth when she talks, I can't do it. Um, and that's years and years of neglect and not brushing. And and they're really crooked, which is nothing she could do anything about. It's just the way she uses her mouth. And uh, she was only 46 when she died. And when she was in her 20s, she was actually kind of pretty. She had no mm-hmm. eyebrows. She was actually kind of pretty, but in, that, in the... Um, that one documentary I just said that I already forgot what it's called. What, The Life and Death or? No. The Damsel of Death. Um, they show her kind of evolving through when it's like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, her lifestyle makes it hard to maintain yourself. Well, yeah, when you're clearly don't have lotion, I doubt, ever. She has a shower when? When she can get one? Yeah. Ugh. Living in, like, motels or else out in the woods Woods. or staying the night at a bar because you don't have anywhere to go home to. Yucky. 
Yeesh. So. So. Get your gory gal signature. Signature. (laughs) It's a signature bath bomb. Get your gory gal signature bath bomb. (laughs) And so much more at thepurplelotusonline.com. Use promo code DEADPOD15 for 15% off your order. Um, Please remember that doesn't go on CBD oils. I think it's only on bath bombs. Oh. That's what I figured out. Good, good. Uh, check out the Bleak Shop for serial killer swag, pins, patches, and more. They are amazing. We actually got some. Thank you so much for those guys. Go to bleakshop.bigcartel.com and check that out. Um, They were at the Days of the Dead. Is that what it's called? I might mm-hmm. be saying it wrong, but it was in Indianapolis, a convention, and they were handing out our stickers. And helping <laughs> us out. Thanks, guys. I know. That was so badass of you. So he's going to Horror Hound at the end of August. If you happen to be going there, go by the Bleak Shop. Get you some cool shit because he's handing out our stickers with purchase. Also, if you are looking to get Color Me Dead merchandise, you can go to colormedeadpod.threadless.com or redbubble.com slash people slash colormedeadpod. And I'm... We need to work on getting new graphics that I made put on. Yeah, we do. Check us out on social media. On Facebook, we have the face the the Facebook. We have the Color Me Dead podcast page. We also have the Color Me Dead podcast group. On Instagram, we are Color Me Dead podcast. Is that right? On Instagram. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, we're Color Me Dead Pod. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at gory underscore Nikki and on Twitter at Ntune. So, the moral sure. of the story is... Maybe don't pick up hitchhikers. And stay, stay out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye. This is the Bleak Shop Killer speaking. Visit bleakshop.bigcartel.com for all of your true crime needs. Where are patches and buttons? So people at parties know that you're into true crime without even talking to you. That's bleakshop.bigcartel.com dot com in transmission my name is hunter and i'm Haley, and we're your hosts of murder and such a podcast about true crime serial killers and other dark subject matter join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales you can now find us on spotify itunes stitcher podbean and all of your podcatcher services you can like us on facebook instagram and follow us on twitter at murder and such hope to hear from you guys soon bye bye My name is Michael Pritt, and I am the host of an all-new podcast called the True Crime Truckers Podcast. 
Every two weeks, I will be delving into a new case. Some famous, as well as some lesser known. Won't you join me as I take a look into the minds of madness? We can stare into the darkness together. You can find the show on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Just type in the True Crime Trucker Podcast. Join the Facebook group as well. Just search True Crime Truckers Podcast. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you.